Each week, Invest Talk listeners ask Steve and Justin what they use for winning investment research. And the answer is Y Charts. Quality data with easy to use tools. You can start your free trial today. And if you purchase during the month of June, you'll get 14 months of Y Charts for the price of 12, plus a free subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Subscribe now go.ycharts.com slash investtalk. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, June seventeenth, twenty nineteen edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining me today. And I hope you will give me a call with your investing questions, because that what that's what the show is all about: answering the questions that are on your mind, and hopefully bringing some perspective to maybe some topics that aren't on your mind, right? That you haven't been thinking about, but maybe I'll bring some to light for you during this hour and maybe you'll have a question about that and give me a call. So when and if you do pick up the phone, probably your cell phone, to make that call, you can shape the show to your advantage and I can help you incrementally make your next step towards financial freedom and we do this every day on Invest Talk with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So today in this hour, I'm going to help you take that next step. Now, our, inv- our Anytime listener line is open right now. So I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. Now, my main talking point today is concerning uh, the fact that business conditions are, by one measure... At the lowest levels since the 2008 financial crisis. Could this be true? And what maybe other metrics are backing that up or saying otherwise? And obviously the U.S.-China trade relationship has hurt the confidence of business leaders. And I'm going to look into that. And that's one of the main reasons why this index has hit the lowest level since 2008. So that's our main talking point today. But I have others as well. One. This is big. Five signs that the home prices or that home prices could be rolling over once again. There's definitely continued continued weakness in the housing market, even though rates have backed up once again, which is pretty interesting to me. Because low rates should give a nice, strong tailwind to housing prices. And there are some numbers around a lot of Western regions, areas, Northern California, Seattle, here in Southern California, that I think are a little worrying. And so we're going to talk about that. Also, the Fed is considering another rate cut, or not another one, but a start of the rate first, their next rate cutting cycle, which hasn't happened. I think the first time they cut rates was 2006, seven was the last time they cut interest rates or started the cut cutting interest rates. I'm sorry. So what does history say when they start that rate cutting cycle? What does that tell you uh, uh, about what you should expect from the overall market? And we're going to get into that as well. And then lastly, 
if we have time, we'll get to the biggest risk to early retirees or just retirees in general. How should you position yourself going into that retirement uh, 20, 30 year time frame? And it's a little bit different than you probably expect. And I'm going to tell you why, hopefully, later in the show. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. What are you pondering on this Monday afternoon? And let's check in on the market real quick. We had a pretty ho-hum day. Uh, The transportation index was down. The S&P was up slightly. The NASDAQ was up a decent amount. Qs were up 0.72%. The small caps were up 0.43%. But the all-world index was down about 1%. Transportation was down a little over 1%. So the broader sectors, a lot of the broader sectors were down. Financials were down. That's not a good sign. Industrials were down. So it was really the tech stocks keeping the market above water today. So uh, outside of that, most of the other sectors were down. Uh, Gold was even down slightly, but very, very modestly. So that was the market today, and I think we're going to be on pause at least one more day until we get the Fed announcement on Wednesday. And my take is, number number one is, I don't think the Fed should be as powerful as they are, meaning eight times a year, controlling the price of money. I think it's a bad situation for the world and us as Americans. I'll start with that. So let me preface that. Second, what do I think they're going to do? Well, I think they're going to disappoint the market. I think they're going to leave the language in that they're going to remain patient because they don't know about the resolution to the trade war. If they knew what was going to happen with the trade war, I think they would be cutting rates because I think the trade war is going to last longer than expected. And so I think the, the the market is pricing in that they're going to indicate they're going to cut rates in September. And I think they have another meeting in late July, I believe, to put language in that they're going to cut in September. So I think they're going to disappoint in this meeting, which will create a market reaction. And as always, the Fed is a creature of the markets, and they will react to the markets. The markets will basically force their hand to ease. That's what I think is going to happen. Could be wrong. Maybe they're going to take it out and indicate right now that they're going to ease in September, meaning cut rates in September. But you never know. So That's my take. I think we'll be in a holding pattern for the next uh, 36 hours or so until we get that Fed announcement. That's what I plan to talk about on today's show. But first, let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Daniel from Utah. I had a question for you about Social Security. Is there a way you can look up how much you put into Social Security is the first part of my question. And the second part of my question is how is Social Security divvied up after you've retired? Do you get the same amount that you put in? Do you get less than you put in? Do you get more than you put in? Does it matter how much long you live? I just want to know how that's divvied up and if there's a way to look at how much you've already put in. 
thanks for uh, taking my call and uh, look forward to hearing the answer on the show. I uh, love the show, guys. Great question. And yes, there is. You can go to the Social Security website and put in all of your information, your Social Security number, name, and it will look you up into in the Social Security database. And I don't believe they'll tell you how much you put in, but they'll give you your, uh, your payout currently. Uh, and a lot has to do, what that payout is depends a lot on how much you've paid in. So if you paid in the max, maybe you make a lot of money, uh, your payout's going to be certainly a lot larger than somebody who's maybe young, hasn't worked very long, or has just worked a, a relatively low-paying job for a, for a long time. So it absolutely depends on how much you put in, and theoretically, you should get more out. Uh, a lot of that depends on when you take your Social Security benefits. Uh, do you wait to your full retirement age at 66, or uh, some people it's going to be 67, uh, or you all wait all the way to 70, which uh, each additional year you wait past your full retirement age, you get an 8% bump in your payout, which is probably the smart way to go for most people. It's something that we work uh, through with clients when we create a financial plan of when they should take that. Uh, sometimes it's taking their spouse taking it early at 62 is when you can first start taking it, but uh, and, and then the other spouse taking it at 70, that's one way to go. Um, there, there are a lot of different strategies. So how much you get paid out just depends on when you start taking it and certainly how long you live. So if you live till 105 years old, and you wait till 70 to take your social security, you're probably gonna get a lot more out of it than you paid in. Now once again, these are a lot of assumptions based on your earnings, and they have actuarial assumptions of how long you're probably going to live, uh, and that's your payout as well as how much you've paid into it. So there are definitely a lot of variables, but yes, you can look that up, and you should start thinking about, maybe not today, but if you're in your 50s, Definitely early 60s, you want to be thinking about that strategy and making sure your social security strategy is on point, is maximizing your benefits for the long term. And if you need help with that, just reach out to myself or steve at investtalk.com. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And since we are now less than one week away, yes, it's this Saturday from our Invest Talk Wealth Conference, I strongly encourage you to consider attending. You can sign up at investtalk.com. We're going to help you understand the current market environments and global economic environment. We'll give you a plan to boost your income and manage your investment risks both today and through retirement. And finally, we're going to define ways for you to find great opportunities, income opportunities in any market environment. So you can take control of your financial future if you know how to. So we're going to help you do that this Saturday. So please make plans to join us. This Saturday, June 22nd from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. in Irvine, California. To learn more and purchase tickets, just go to investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We have about forty minutes left in the show, but it goes by quick. So give me a call sooner rather than later. Now I talked about the Fed interest rate potential 
signal of a cut that might come this week. But let's take a couple a look at a couple of metrics uh, in the market today. The 10-year Treasury rate now closed at 2.086%. I think is the third lowest close of the year. So right around the lowest uh, rates so far this year, which tends to be good for equity markets, tends to be good for housing market, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Oil is now at $50, $52 and change, gasoline at $2.68 per gallon, the average across America, here in California, we're definitely not seeing those prices, but gold is now over $1,300 an ounce, gold remains relatively strong, even though the dollar really hasn't rolled over too much. So I think that's pretty interesting. And Bitcoin's at a 13-month high. Pretty interesting the fact that Facebook is looking to launch their own cryptocurrency. Still not convinced that we're there technology-wise uh, for cryptocurrencies, but one day we'll get there. Maybe it'll happen sooner than I expect. That's kind of the news uh, today. For 2019 in the U.S. alone, the video game market is expected to be worth $89 billion. That's pretty big, but... What's interesting is that Amazon is looking to invest in that market. And guess what? Not everything Amazon touches turns to gold. Reports show that Amazon is having a real struggle with this endeavor and their presence being felt in the video game market is still hard to find. So they've laid off dozens of game developers at Amazon Game Studios, they're reorganizing, and they've canceled some unannounced games. So that's interesting that, guess what? Just because Amazon gets into a particular market doesn't mean that they're automatically going to take share from existing players. They're not good at everything. So next time you see a, a sister stock tank because Amazon looks to be encroaching on their business, Maybe it's not such a big worry. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I want to thank you for making this program a part of your routine each and every weekday. Steve and I do our best to make it interesting and instructive for you. And whenever you have investment questions, I encourage you to explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, subscribe, and rate the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart hard you save money you try to manage expenses but in spite of these good habits you'll still need an actionable and balanced portfolio strategy if you want to achieve financial freedom now you can listen to invest talk each weekday and this will help but there is a special two-hour invest talk wealth conference event planned for saturday june 22nd It'll be in Irvine, California, and led by Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. This is your opportunity to get hands-on mentoring. Reserve your spot and purchase tickets for June 22nd right now at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Justin is here, and he's ready for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Vinesh in Kansas. He's asking about Chipotle Mexican Grill. Do you want to buy it, sell it, or give it away? Um, I actually have good options on it, Steve, on, on it, Justin. Um, 
okay. uh, you know, with a strike price of 600 bucks expiring in September. And uh, it seems well, like it made a double top today uh, at about 746 bucks. So I was, you know, I was wanting your opinion on whether I should hold on to these or, you know, should sell these. Yeah, I mean, it does look pretty toppy here, uh, inexpensive. So I like what you're looking at. You have a MACD crossover on the weekly as well as a MACD divergent uh, low on the daily. And so it tells me that this is due for a pullback. Uh, you know, how far does it go? How far below 600 does it go? Uh, hard to hard to really know. But the 200-day moving average is around 560, so I could definitely see it hitting that if we get kind of a broader market sell-off. Um, you know, September is not a long ways off, but it's not short either. So um, you're you're kind of on that cusp of you know, maybe that's a little bit too short. Um, but I do think we are headed for some sort of larger correction in the summer months, and Chipotle will likely be uh, taken down with that because of such a high valuation, right? So I would hold it for now, uh, and if we don't get that sell-off, if this holds the 50-day moving average, then I might consider selling it. But uh, I think the next test of that 50-day, it will break it, and I think you'll you'll do you'll do well. So I would hold on to those put options. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for the call. Now, my main talking point today concerns the claim that business conditions are at their worst level since the 2008 financial crisis. So let's take a little bit uh, deeper dive into this. And this is a measure of business conditions tracked by Morgan Stanley. And it's their proprietary business conditions index. And it fell 32 points last month. And that's the sharpest drop since... The metric was formulated and it touched the lowest point since the 2007-2008 financial crisis. And clearly this has to do with the anxiety around the U.S. trade relationship with China. And business leaders are decidedly anxious about how this might affect their business. And they're trying to develop business strategies in a very murky environment. Most of these companies are manufacturing something somewhere around the world and at least one or all of their parts are coming out of China. So it's forced many companies to think about altering supply chains and maybe spending money on setting up new supply chains as opposed to maybe hiring new workers. Or maybe they're just not doing much at all and waiting till the fog clears up of the trade war. And if you go look at the jobs report for May, it kind of reflected this unease that business leaders have around the trade war. We created only 75,000 new jobs in May when the forecast was actually 185,000 jobs. And then you have the likes of Broadcom who lowered their guidance dramatically. And remember I've talked about this before is the new transportation stocks are the semiconductors. The semiconductors go in everything. 
they're the backbone of the products, almost all the products that we purchase today. And the fact that they're downgrading guidance really tells you about the backdrop of business conditions. Now, if you look at retail sales, that still remains relatively strong. I think it was about half a percent last month. So that's the positive spin on the current economic environment. But 75,000 new jobs isn't enough to sustain the entrance, new entrance to the workforce. So clearly, businesses are not hiring enough. And the main reason is the trade war. And I know business leaders that manufacture in China, one of my best friends, import most of their products from China. And it's put a halt to a lot of new investment, new product development, and a lot of unease about their supply chain. And they've already seen, luckily it's only some of their low cost items. It's not their main crux of their business. They've seen those prices go up of importing. So don't don't think this is something that is should be forgotten. Now tomorrow on Invest Talk, we're going to touch on Facebook and big tech regulation. That's coming up tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk and if you live anywhere in Southern California, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein encourage you to make plans to attend KPP Financial's Invest Talk Wealth Conference. It's happening on Saturday, June 22nd in Irvine, California. By harnessing the power of income compounding, retirees and investors of all kinds can improve their chances of living a life of financial freedom. At the conference, Steve and Justin will help you understand the current volatile market and global economic environment. They'll give you a plan to boost income and manage investment risk. And they'll define ways to find great opportunities in any market environment. The Summer Invest Talk Wealth Conference is an investor learning opportunity that you should not miss. I'm Steve Peasley. I invite you to attend our next Invest Talk Wealth Conference, Saturday, June 22nd. This is Invest Talk, and we're glad you're with us today for one hour of financial news and perspective. And your decision-making process can benefit from this practical and unbiased advice, especially if you consult with Steve or Justin. Step up now with your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's talk a little bit about the housing market. Oh, actually, are we going uh, to Tim? Go to Tim. Tim in the Bay Area, asking about real estate? Yep. The housing market, actually. <laughs> Thank you for taking my okay. call. Yeah, no problem. Um, so people are recommending, and I know this is a wide recommendation, that you would uh, purchase your real estate if you're if you're looking to buy. Now is a good time to buy, and it seems like, Maybe sales are going to pick up this uh, spring and summer. Um, 
but uh, on the other hand, like a lot of people are also um, uh, also also think that there is a, a recession or a bear market coming in within the next one or two years, and I feel like these two predictions or recommendations are contradicting to each other because my impression is when the stock market or crashes or when there's a recession, then uh, usually uh, home buying uh, decreases and decelerates and then uh, uh, prices go low. Um, so I don't know. Can you comment comment on that? Well, it's true that, that home buying tends to be cyclical because when the economy goes down, more people get laid off and you don't, you can't qualify, you can't pay for a mortgage, right? You're just trying to survive and get by. Uh, so, so absolutely, it, it's definitely cyclical. So if you go into a recession, there's going to be downdrafts in many real estate markets throughout the country. Now, it depends on which market uh, you're in. It sounds like you're in the Bay Area, so I'm assuming you'd be buying in the Bay Area, correct? That's correct. Okay. Well, the the biggest issue I think with the Bay Area is it's so tech heavy, right? The economy is driven by the tech industry. And as, you know, you have all these unicorns and now a lot of them are going public and now the valuations, uh, you know, the, the likes of Uber and Lyft and a lot of them have not done so hot uh, in the public markets. And you're just seeing a, a tightening of liquidity because of Fed raising interest rates, and there is somewhat of a tech bubble. How big is it? How bad will the bust be? It's hard to know, but certainly if that happens, and that will likely happen if there is a recession, the the Bay Area market's gonna hit be hit probably more than most, and, and I have some stats here after you get off that I'm gonna go over with everybody else of why, of, of what's happening in those markets right now. Um, and so, is now a better time to buy than a year ago? Sure, but it, it's there's still a lot of room for the economy and especially the tech industry to kind of right size itself uh, compared to the size of the the overall economy, and that's going to hit the Bay Area market if that hap if and when that happens. It's not really a matter it, if it's going to happen. I think it's a matter of when that's going to happen. Is it going to be uh, put off because of Fed easing for another two, three, four, five years, or is it something that remains on the horizon. It's hard to know uh, based on, because you don't know what Fed action is going to be, but it's certainly, I wouldn't say it's a great time to be re buying real estate at all. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for the call, Tim. And let's go straight into that. Uh, and this is it's a great article I found. It's five signs that home prices could be rolling over again. And it looks at data from, it's called the Adams Data U.S. Home Sales Report for the first quarter of this year. So through March of this year, uh, 12 major U.S. markets. And what it measures is the gross profit from the sale of a home. So you sell a home, how much are you getting uh, out of that compared to what they paid for it, right? And this is a, a rolling figure because uh, you're comparing uh Basically, the gross profit. How much are you rolling in profit into that next home, right? And some of the hottest markets over the past five, seven years look to be the weakest, okay? Now, San Jose, California, which is the heart of the Bay Area, heart of Silicon Valley, realized an average gross profit 
in the first quarter of 84%. And that sounds great. 84%. That's big return on buying a home and selling a home. But if you look at what they would have got a year ago, they would have returned 103% a year ago. And if you base it on 2000, second quarter of 2018, that was 114%. So we've gone from 114% down to 84%. The second hottest market, Seattle, average gross profit was 63%. It peaked once again, second quarter of 2008 at 78%. So you're seeing that gross profit come down. On average, these homeowners nationwide have held their home for eight years on average. So they bought somewhere around 2011. So what else is saying that the housing market remains weak despite lower interest rates? Home sales continue to decline in most major metropolitan areas. Listings for sale continue to rise in the hottest markets. Reductions in asking prices have been increasing. And bidding wars are a lot less prevalent than a year ago. Just look at Orange County, where I am. I'm in Laguna Beach. First quarter home sales fell 20% from a year ago. And they were at the lowest level since the housing collapse of 2008. In March 2019, listings were up 104% in San Jose from a year ago, 83% in Seattle, 30% in Portland, 24% in San Francisco. What else? Multiple offers on properties have plunged. In April 2018, Redfin agents reported that there were multiple offers on 60% of homes they were showing. April this year? Only 15%. Even in the San Francisco Bay Area market, multiple offers are now down to 22% from 75% a year ago. So the big question is, is it too late to sell? I continue to say no. I've been saying it's a good time to sell for the last year and a half to two years. But if you're going to sell in the next three to five years, you want to do it now. I've been saying that for at least 18 months, 18 to 24 months. And I continue to say that. And I think this recent drop in mortgage rates should actually give a little boost to a lot of these metrics I just rattled off. Simply because affordability is a lot better. But like Tim asked, go into a recession, you go into a bear market in in equities, that's absolutely going to hit the hotter markets of the country, the higher price markets of the country. Now, you're talking about mid-price, low-priced areas of the country. Those tend to not have very high volatility long-term. Will they go down? Maybe a little. But that's not where the risk is. Especially with the tax the tax changes, it's less advantageous to own a home from a tax perspective for most people. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. You probably heard me say this more than once. 
There are really two emotions that drive the market, fear and greed. So let's talk about fear a little bit. Fear comes in when you have too much portfolio risk. And this is something Steve and I do each and every week with listeners is assess their risk, help them figure out, are they invested too aggressively, maybe too conservatively? Typically, it's too aggressively, especially for your life position, pre-retirees, retirees. So my advice is to take our free risk questionnaire. It's at investtalk.com. We use the results to develop a strategy that works best for your portfolio. And now we're taking your questions live. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and if you live anywhere in Southern California, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein encourage you to make plans to attend KPP Financial's Invest Talk Wealth Conference. It's happening on Saturday, June 22nd in Irvine, California. In today's low-yield world, it is difficult to find great income opportunities while still maintaining safety and liquidity. Steve and I can help you. At the conference, Steve and Justin will help you understand the current volatile market and global economic environment. They'll give you a plan to boost income and manage investment risk. And they'll define ways to find great opportunities in any market environment. The Summer Invest Talk Wealth Conference is an investor learning opportunity that you should not miss. I'm Justin Klein. I invite you to attend our next Invest Talk Wealth Conference, Saturday, June 22nd. Let's go to Shannon in Florida asking about Next Energy. Uh, yeah, hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I've called into the podcast a lot. It's my first time going live, so thanks for taking the call. Yeah, no problem. Um, so you're, uh, you're looking to buy Next or you own it? So I've owned it briefly in the past, but it's funny you mentioned fear and uh, risk because that's kind of what the reason for the question is. Basically, I'm heavily involved in Apple, just have been for a while. It just seems like the most... It's just one of the best bang for my buck. Um, but NEE is a commodity, and it seems like a really good play to help diversify my portfolio a little bit. And, you know, with all the uncertainty in the market, it just seems like it could uh, – it it's been steadily rising, though, for a while. And the, and the kind of question is, is like, I guess, where do you see it going? Is it too late to buy? What's the good price to get in? That kind of thing. Well, this is Next Nextera Energy. NEE is the ticker symbol. They're engaged in the generation, transmission, distribution, and sale of electricity to 10 million customers in Florida. Yields about 2.4%, about $100 billion market cap, just shy of that. So it's a very large utility name, and utilities have been relatively strong for a while now, and that should be a signal to everybody of where, uh, where the strength is in the market. And so I think allocation in this market to the utility space is a good idea, uh, especially if you're trying to diversify your portfolio, maybe lower your risk profile. That's solid. Do I love Nextera Energy is the next question. Well, the return equity is 12%, which is pretty solid for a utility name. And revenues are growing about 6 to 10% over the last two quarters. Earnings are growing in the low teens. That's very solid for an energy company or a utility company. So I like that. My biggest bugaboo is just simply the the, the valuation, the, the multiples that we're trading at. 
P-E ratio of 26, enterprise value to EBITDA of 16. That's, I think, the highest it's ever traded at from an enterprise value to EBITDA perspective. So it's not cheap. It's not a cheap utility, but it's a, a market where there's not a lot of cheap utilities out there. So overall, I like it. Just understand that from a long-term perspective, you're not getting bargain basement prices. Right. It seems to have risen a lot lately, so it seems like it's a little bit expensive right now. It does. It does. And so I would probably wait for a pullback on this, but I do like to add to the utility space on pullbacks. So I would keep it on your watch list. You know, this dips back maybe into the 180s. I would start picking it up again. Now, I think we can squeeze in another caller question real quick. This came in earlier on our 888-99 chart number. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Ted from Georgia calling. Relatively new uh, listener to your program, and I'm loving it so far. I have a question about price-to-book value. I understand price-to-earnings well, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about price-to-book value and how we should use that as a metric when making investment decisions. Is it purely a relative metric where we compare other companies in that industry? Or is it is it a more of an absolute metric? Or is it absolute in some industries and more of a relative metric in others? I appreciate your insights, and thanks for doing what you do. Bye. All right, thanks for the call. Great question. Now, first off, when you're looking at valuation metrics like price to earnings, price to book, price to sales, enterprise value, even those type of metrics, you definitely want to always compare them to other companies within the industry. So let's start there. Now price to book in and of itself, I think over the years has become less useful to be frank. And the reason is because accounting rules have become more opaque, CFOs have become pretty aggressive, pretty imaginative when it comes to using accounting rules to reduce tax expenses, make their business look better than it actually is. And so the book value of a company is usually does not reflect reality. Sometimes it's way too high, sometimes it's way too low. You really have to dig into it and understand the assumptions that are made, the depreciation schedules that the CFOs are using, etc. And that makes that price to book number a lot murkier. See, that's why I like to use enterprise value to EBITDA because EBITDA is kind of a measure of cash flow. Enterprise value is basically how much debt do they have as well as what their market cap is. And those are a lot harder to to fudge. So price the book, it's interesting, but I don't really use it very much because that book value is so opaque. And then once again, the price doesn't include the debt. So I don't really use it. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here to help you achieve financial freedom. So give me a call at 888 99Chart. On the next Invest Talk, a Wall Street firm has handicapped the potential impact of big tech regulation. And it's bad news for Facebook. That story tomorrow. But now Justin is here 
ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Mike from Tracy. I got a question in regards to a fiduciary. If a broker tells you that he or she is a fiduciary, how can you verify that? Love your show. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Well, you can verify it through their credentials, right? So if they're, they just have their Series 7, for example, then they're not a fiduciary. They're simply a broker, right? Because Series 7 gives you the right to collect commissions. Now, if you have, say, the Series 65, that's what, that's what Steve and myself and a couple of our, other of our colleagues have. That is your registered investment advisory license, okay? Now, you can take, the, if you take the seven, you can also take, uh, I believe it's the 63, I want to say, which is basically kind of the sister of the Series 65 uh, and allows you to manage money for a fee, which is what we do, right? But you can wear both hats. So that's another thing you have to, you have to ask too is, are you a broker or a fiduciary or are you both? Because sometimes... They can be both, meaning they're licensed in two ways. And that can become tricky because they can sell you something that gets them a high commission as a Series 7 license, right? But then they can also manage money. And you might think that they are your fiduciary, but one suggestion could be wearing their non-fiduciary hat, like a Series 7, or and the other action could be them being a fiduciary. So it can be kind of opaque. So I like to, I, I, I try to say, you want to work with somebody who is only an RAA or is only a fiduciary. There's other types of fiduciaries uh, that are that besides RAAs, but that's what myself and Steve are, registered investment advisor. Oh, they're always fiduciaries. If you have a Series 7, a lot of other Series 6, other licenses where they collect commissions, they're very unlikely to be a fiduciary. So make sure you ask those questions because a lot of them kind of wear both hats, but they don't tell you when they're wearing what hat. Right? 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's talk quickly about the Federal Reserve meeting starts tomorrow. It commences on Wednesday when they make their announcement. They're, they're unlikely to lower interest rates, I, don't th- I think, but it's all about the language once again. Uh, and that's what the Fed tends to do. They want to give the market full warning of what the next move is. They, they don't like to surprise the market. They allow the market to ease into certain expectations. And a lot of people are calling the next Fed cut, which I do think the next thing they're going to do is cut, as insurance. Insurance in a, an economy, in a market that is kind of iffy, right? The equity markets have basically gone nowhere for a year and a half, and you have the trade war, you have global trade slowing, you have global economic growth slowing. Now, if you look back in history, they did this in the 90s, 95, 98, and both kind of saved us from, I don't know, saved us from recession because you don't know the counterfactual, but they kind of gave the market an interest rate insurance cut. But then you go back to 2007, the Fed did the same by cutting interest rates 50 basis points. 
But that did not stave off what we ultimately saw was the Great Recession, the financial crisis, just a year and a few months later. And then they put interest rates at zero. So I continue to think that the Fed is on pause until there's some resolution to the trade war or the market really falls out of bed. And if you look at credit spreads, you look at just the broader market indexes. Yeah, they don't look great, but they don't look terrible. And I think the Fed would like to break the market of their expectation. The Fed's always going to save the day. And I see Jeremy Powell as that type who wants to break those expectations. It'd be wrong, but that's my expectation. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program, and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Let's come back tomorrow. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.